Um, anyway, right, this morning we are um, uh, starting a new series. And uh, hopefully you've uh, noticed the flyers, three big fields that have been out the last couple of weeks. They've been scattered around the chairs today. And we're going to start to look at this series, this thing we're calling Three Big Fields. Now, over the years, just as we have this morning, we have received a number of prophetic words. That's what we would call what Sean brought earlier today, a prophetic word, um, what, which to one degree or another have shaped us as a church and which are important for us to uh, consider and give time to um, uh, working through. In fact, if you're uh, thinking back a little bit, hopefully many of you still have this on your fridge. If you've got one, if you haven't had one of these and you're trying to work out what on earth it is, this is a fridge magnet. And it's a picture which we were given, a prophetic picture we were given as a church a couple of years ago. If you haven't got one and you'd like one, they're available on the information table just by the doors as you head out. Uh, Feel free, pick one up. Whack it on your fridge and every time you go and get the milk or the butter or whatever it is you get out of the fridge or put something in the fridge and you see it, why don't you then use it as a way of praying? It's there to remind us this is a promise God's given us. What's the promise? Alton. This is uh, talking to us as a church in Alton. By faith, you're called to make holes in ceilings, bringing broken men to the feet of the king. That's King Jesus. And across the top, it says this, the time to take action is now. To be purposeful, inventive, unconventional, radical and audacious. Now, I read something like that and go, oh, come on. Yes, please, God. We want to see broken men and women brought to the feet of the king. And the actual image of the picture, you'll find that's taken from the, uh, the, the account, the story of uh, the men who try to bring their friend to Jesus and find the crowds are too great. So they go up onto the roof of the house and break a hole in the roof of the house and lure him down to the feet of Jesus. That's bold, radical, audacious, inventive. That's what we're called to be. In helping people come to know Jesus. And yeah, we've had many, many words over the years. Two which we've really sort of picked up on more recently have been that word and then this word which Guy brought for us about these three fields of harvest. Hence the title of uh, this series. If you haven't got a copy of that word which Guy gave to us, it's printed out again. It's on the information table over there. Please pick it up afterwards because these words need to shape us and define us. And if we don't have a copy of them, well, we'll forget them so quickly. That's why we've had it transposed and printed off so that we can use it well. So this morning, what we want to do is actually spend some time before we dig into those three different fields, and that's going to happen in the next three weeks, just reminding ourselves, what is the prophetic? Why is the prophetic important to us? How do we gauge what is right and what is wrong? How do we check out that word Sean's has brought to us this morning? How do we make sure it's of God or not? Sean, don't worry. I'm not going to say it's not. Um, in case you're wondering. Um, how do we do this? How do we then engage with it? How do we let it shape us? You know, the, Sean's word has got some challenges there. Are we going to hear those challenges? Are we going to hear those conditions? It's not that God's going to pull up the anchors. It's time for us to pull up the anchors. It's time for us to get back out into the flow of 
the river. Do we hear that? Do we think, oh, that means I've got to do something. Oh, rats. Do I want to do something? I think those two pictures go so well together, just to say. Don't know how many of you have sat on a motorway due to roadwork, say, in the last six to 12 months. I won't ask for hands up. There's probably many of us. And there is that sense of relief when you get past the blockage. Ed and I were going up to Brunel University, where my oldest son is a student, to collect his stuff uh, last weekend. And uh, there'd been an accident on the M3. So it wasn't quite roadworks, but it, uh, actually they ended up shutting the M3 about 40 vehicles in front of where we were at. And you just think, oh, rats. Why don't we just get through it first? And, and they just closed it. The whole thing just came to a grinding halt. We got out of our cars, enjoyed the sunshine, stretched our legs. Some people went for a walk along the, um, the embankment and picked some flowers. And uh, yeah, uh, you, you, I think if you'd had some tinnies and a barbecue, you could have had a really good party. And uh, uh, then, then suddenly, it's like a cork pops out of a bottle. And a car starts to move. And you see, it's almost like a Le Mans star. Everybody starts sprinting to their car to get back into their car because we're going to move. How exciting, we're going to move. And then you squeeze through the gap which has been cleared. And suddenly you've got wide open space. And you see everybody drop their car down a gear or two and floor it. <laughs> and, oh, up the road they all go. And, you know, that sense of relief after the congestion, the restriction of roadworks or a traffic jam. And that sense of, wow, into a wide open place. And enjoying the flow of God and the blessing of God. Wow. Powerful words. None of that was in my notes. Right. Better get to my notes. Um, So how do we engage with the prophetic? Well... Um, if things had gone slightly differently, we were going to start by looking in 1 Kings. I would encourage you, if you've got time, to go away after today and perhaps read the story of Elijah in the book of 1 Kings, 17, 18, and 19. That's chapters 17, 18, and 19. I'm just going to draw a few uh, comments about Elijah without actually reading those uh, verses because there was a lot of verses there to read, which is this. In James 5, 17, we are told that Elijah was a man just like us. Well, if you know anything of the story of Elijah, he's the man who basically um, uh, looks at a, a, a king, a bad king, Ahab, who's not ruling well, and says there will be no more rain. Because of your ungodliness and the way in which you've led these people, the heavens are going to dry up and there's going to be no more rain. He um, therefore didn't win the most popular man of the year award, because for three years, there was no rain. Now, you've got to understand, that's quite massive. And because of that prophetic word he brought, and because of the impact it had on the nation, he had to go into hiding. He has the most phenomenal story, but actually bringing that prophetic word changes his life as well as everybody else's lives. And he goes on an amazing journey, and you can read about that in 1 Kings 17, 18, 19, and on. And then he brings, he finds God says, okay, now's the time. 
The people are starting to turn. The people are starting to repent. Because actually what he's doing, what Elijah's doing, is bringing something of the promises of God in this. Because in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that... um, If I can find my note somewhere. It says that basically if the people uh, don't uh, repent... The heavens will be like bronze. I think it's Deuteronomy 28. I can't find it in my notes at the moment. The heavens will be like bronze. They'll, they'll be dry. That was God's judgment on the people. But that similarly, God's blessing on a repentant people is rain. And so Elijah turns the people back to repentance, turns the people back to God. And then in this story, you find the blessing of God, this phenomenal rain which comes after there's an amazing confrontation between uh, Elijah and the, 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 the people, uh, the gods of the, of the day. A powerful, powerful picture of a prophet at work. And we're told yet he's a man just like us. Well, don't know how you feel about that. I feel a bit lacking. He's also very fast at running, by the way. You have to read the story to find out what I mean by that. Very fast. He outruns the chariot. So let's just remind ourselves, full hallmarks of Elijah's life. Very briefly, he was intimate with God. Well, that's something I can be. Jesus has made a way. We've just celebrated that in breaking bread together. We've celebrated that Jesus has made a way that I can know God well myself. God can know me. I can be intimate with him. I can, uh, uh, I can walk with him. And if I'm going to talk through him, I need to walk with him. You can all do that too. We can all do that together. We can be intimate with God. The second thing's this, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, while that was unusual in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's been freely given to all who seek and ask. So we can do that too. He lives out a life with faith and courage. Well, that may be a little bit more challenging for some of us because that means we have to make tough decisions. But actually we can all do that who exercised faith, take God at his word and put his word into practice. And then finally, he was this. He was submissive, accountable, and under God's authority. In other words, he was bendable. He was malleable to God. Well, we can all be like that too. And in that way, Elijah was a man just like us. And so when we come to think about the prophetic, I I want us to... Make sure we don't discount ourselves right at the beginning and think, oh, that's for the super spiritual. That's for the special people. That's for those who've got a particular gift. Yes, it is a gift to be able to prophesy. But it's a gift which we're encouraged in 1 Corinthians 14, which we're going to read in a moment. That's why you're holding your Bible. It was the purpose behind it. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 14, which we're all encouraged to exercise and to grow in and to, to, to use. So let's read from 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, a church which is well known for its issues and its troubles and its sinfulness, but also a church which is well known for wanting to press in on the purposes of God. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. 
Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies, edifies, by the way, the word edifies means builds up, builds up the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Father, we want to take you at your word. We're reading your word together. We ask now, would you speak to us from your word? And would your word yield a mighty harvest in each of our lives, both individually and corporately together, that we may enjoy this journey you've called us on and in, uh, in the purposes of God? Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. So you see, we've just read very simple instructions. Hey, Paul's saying, come on, church. Tongues is great. Tongues is great. But hey, press on and find out about the gift of prophecy. Start to exercise the gift of prophecy. So I want to ask this question, and I am looking for a response. I'm warning you that I'm looking for a response now because... um, this is just a quick survey. This is not to embarrass anyone, okay? If you don't want to respond, you don't have to. But if you have the gift of tongues, can I ask you to raise your hand at this moment in time? Okay, now I want you to keep your hand up for a moment. Don't put it down yet. In a moment, though, what I'm going to ask you to do is uh, to keep your hand up if you have the gift of prophecy. In other words, to put your hand down now if you don't have the gift of prophecy. Okay, go for it. Okay. That's quite challenging, really, isn't it? Because this is what Paul's talking about. Thank you so much. So Paul's saying, if you've got the gift of tongues, hey, come on, guys. Get with it. In a nice way. Say, get with it. Press in. Look for the gift of prophecy as well. Start to exercise in prophecy. Now, I think... Somehow we seem to think prophecy is harder than tongues. Maybe. Is it? I don't think so. If they're both gifts, surely they're both gifts. We just need to exercise them. So let's continue to press in and see what uh, what Paul has to say. Prophecy, he tells us in this passage, is for strengthening, for encouragement and comfort. That's a massively broad definition. You can pretty much pack anything into that under that definition if you want to. So, you know, police don't think, oh, okay, uh, does this fit or not? Yeah, you can, you can confront sin in a way which encourages and strengthens people. You can bring vision and direction in a way which will strengthen and encourage and even comfort people, both the individuals and the church. There's a whole load of things which fits into that very broad definition of strengthening, encouraging, and comforting people. Do you know really what prophecy does is it causes there to be a connection between people to the living God. And that's really what he's talking about here, isn't he? Where he says, um, um, <laughs> sorry, I've got to find the passage. Verse 2. Uh, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strength and encouragement and comfort. He brings a tongue, edifies himself, but he prophesies, edifies the church. It's about building up the church. Okay? It's about building up one another. It's about building up the church. And we're bringing a revelation of something of God, helping people to engage with our loving Father. 
We're told actually later on in this passage, if we continue to read it in verse 24, it says this, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. Wow. So prophecy, the gift of prophecy, can bring conviction. Conviction of sin and awareness that there's a living God who knows something about me or knows me well who wants to meet with me. I don't know about you, but I get excited when people get saved. I think it's wonderful when people get saved. I'd love to see more people get saved here on a Sunday. I'd love us to see more people get saved in our workplace, in our homes, in our neighborhood, in our street. Would you? Yeah. Well, uh, this sounds like this could be rather helpful. Now, of course, we also have other examples of prophecy in the Bible. We've got a whole load of books. We call them the minor prophets and the major prophets, whether that be Isaiah or Amos or Obadiah or a whole load of other books in the Bible where we also find uh, uh, prophetic material. And uh, uh, so we need to understand also that prophecy can be predictive. It can be forward-looking. Sometimes it can be forward-looking in a way where uh, there's a sort of now and not yet. That there's a sort of aspect of, oh, I think that's for now, but actually maybe it's also for the longer term. And we need to understand that it can be, sometimes it can be quite difficult to understand what the prophetic's saying. For some it may be, oh, I'm caught up in that now. For others it's, oh no, that's for the future, that's for the long term. And that's okay because it will speak to us in different ways. So, how do we check? How do we check? How do we check that it's right? If we continued on in reading 1 Corinthians 14, we'd get to uh, verse 29 where it says this, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you could all prophesy in turn so everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets for God is not a God of disorder but of peace. So there is some order as people prophesy. But also, very clearly here, it's saying that prophetic gift, those things which are brought from people with a prophetic gift need to be weighed. What does that mean to weigh prophecy? How do we check or test the prophetic gift? And by the way, he's talking to the whole church here. He's not just talking to a few. That means we need to weigh the prophetic. So when Sean brings a word, it's for all of us to go, Oh, does this fit? To go through this process, it's not just down for the leaders to do, it's for all of us to do. So how do we test? Well, we, we test the prophetic against the Bible first and foremost. We ask, you know, as the Bible has ultimate authority, is what this person is bringing uh, in submission to the word of God or contrary to the word of God? Now, sometimes things are brought which you could argue are neither one or the other. That's fine. But anything which basically goes against the word of God, we can stop testing at that point and bin. Okay, It will be in submission to the word of God. Okay, That's why we need to understand the scriptures. That's why we need to be in the Bible. Because if we're not in the Bible and we're not reading it, we don't know what it says, then we can't test other things. That's why the word's so important. 
Only if it's in submission to Scripture do we need to check it out further. So how do we check it out further? Well, we can ask that question. Does it encourage? Does it build up? Does it strengthen us in our relationship with God? Does it bring comfort or conviction or prediction? Those would be all things, questions we could ask because for sometimes uh, words, words in quotes can be brought <laughs> which actually don't lead us to God. They don't lead us to godliness, to adoration, to worship, but they lead us to condemnation, to feeling guilty in, a, in, in an unhealthy way. It says, oh, you're useless, you're rubbish. You're, you're... That's, that's not God. The Spirit of God brings a conviction, yes. He highlights sin, yes, but he doesn't condemn. That's Satan who condemns. So we can check these things out. We can ask that sort of question. What's this word doing to us? Does it build us up? Does it strengthen us? Does it encourage us? Does it draw us to God and godliness, to worship and adoration of him? Or does it have an an alternative effect? Does Does it squash us, make us feel bad? Another thing we may want to ask is, what about the person bringing it? Do they demonstrate they're under authority, both to the word of God and to church leadership? If not, be very wary. Be very, very, very wary. What's their motivation? Let's remember this 1 Corinthians 14 is written after 1 Corinthians 13. What's 1 Corinthians 13 about? Well, that's that marriage passage, isn't it? All about love. We only ever read it when there's a marriage happening. No, no, no. Hey, this is about how we function as a church in love. So is the motivation love? Or is it something else? Are they trying to manipulate? Are they trying to control? Are they uh, trying to condemn? Is it destructive? So we can bin it. Then you can ourselves, and this is probably the most uh, one we have to be most careful of and give least weight to. What's my response as receiver? As I hear it, is there a sense of yeah, that fits, and faith is arising? Now the reason I say we've got to be careful with that is because our hearts. Can sometimes, if we aren't careful, misread things, misunderstand things. For example, we may say, oh, that's definitely not God, because actually, if it is God, then I've got to deal with my sin, and I don't want to deal with my sin, so therefore I'm going to say it's not God. We just have to acknowledge that. We can all do that. I can do it. You can do it. We can all do it. We don't like to admit it, but we can. We can play God. So we've got to make sure we're careful on that. Uh, and then another way, another question we want to ask is, what are others of godly character? Underline the word godly character. What are others of godly character? What's their response to this? Don't just go for the wacky. We can all find people who will agree with something if we hunt long and far enough. No matter how weird or wacky it is. But what are others of godly character, solid godly character? What's their response to this? How do we handle the prophetic? And if we get to that place, therefore, where we can go, yeah, okay, we believe this is God, then I want to ask the question this, which is how do we receive what God's saying? 
I have here a very precious item, a harvest gold pen. Not real gold, I hasten to add. Golden color. If I wanted to give this to somebody, you could receive it in all sorts of different ways. You could casually just take it and go, thank you. Not important, don't want it, bin it. Or you could <laughs> go and find it again. And you go, actually, this is precious. Thank you. I appreciate that gift. I appreciate what you've given me. I receive this. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it for writing sermon notes or whatever it is, the shopping list. Or I'm even going to receive it and then I'm going to give it on to somebody else because I want somebody else to be blessed with this. And, you know, we can, similarly with the prophetic, we can receive the prophetic in different ways. We can be very casual about it and just drop it and ignore it. Or we can take it to heart and we can let it shape our lives and become part of our lives. Or even we can go another step beyond where we take it to heart and then we help others also to similarly engage with that, obviously assuming it's appropriate to them. What's our heart when we hear the prophetic? If we'd had time to read the story of Elijah, we'd have found out that Ahab calls Elijah a troublemaker at one point. That prophet, that troublemaker, Elijah. Well, why was he calling him a troublemaker? Well, he didn't want to hear him, did he? He didn't want to hear him. He didn't want to receive what he had to say. He wasn't going to repent from what Elijah was bringing or saying. No, he, he was trying to justify himself, and he was the important king, and he was the ruler, and he was in rebellion to God. Where are we at? When we hear something like that, are you going to receive it? You may weigh it and decide, yes, it's God, but you can still not receive it. I want to encourage us, when we hear something which we believe is of God, we need to receive it well. Write it down. That's a great way to do Write it down because then, once you've written it down, particularly if you're able to check it with the person who brought that word to you, you can make sure you don't try and change it. See, if you don't know, if, you, if you've not written it down, over time your mind can play tricks on you. Oh, well, it was just a word that God wanted to bless me, but i now taken that to read that God wanted to bless me with a red Porsche Carrera. That's what the word said. No, it didn't. Our hearts, are, they can twist things so easily. Write it down, then you've got something to go back to, to refer back to. Then you, once you've written it down, you can pray it back to God. You can pray it back to him. You say, oh God, you've said this. God, you've spoken into my heart through this. That's what Elijah did. He prayed it back. He prayed back when it came to praying for the rains to come. He prays. And he goes away and he prays again. And he prays again. We pray it back. God, you've spoken. God, you've spoken. You don't, God, God isn't some sort of one who toys with us and speaks and then ignores us. and says, I'm not going to do that. He's good. We've sung about that, how good God is. But he also wants to know we're engaged. One of the ways we engage is by going, yeah, God, I want to take that seriously. I want to pray it back. I'm going to live this. I'm going to let it shape my life. 
Elijah have already mentioned, it shaped his entire life. I say his entire life, for three years. <laughs> Ended up living as a refugee. Somebody who had a price on his head. For Abraham with Isaac. <laughs> Isaac, this promised child. Promised child. Waited and longed for the fulfillment of a major promise from God for Abraham and Sarah. Go sacrifice him on the altar. What? Yeah, go and sacrifice him on the altar. Take him up the mountain. Get him to carry the firewood. That's where you're going to sacrifice him. That's how you're going to sacrifice him. Sacrifice him to me. (laughs) You can't be serious, God. He's the fulfillment of promises of years. We've been waiting for him for years and years and years. God, you can't be serious. God says, yeah, take him up. Abram takes steps of faith. He responds to how God directs. And God provides the lamb for the sacrifice. Knowing that even the promise, even the manifestation of the promise still comes under submission to the Lordship of Christ. Knowing that God is good. He's not going to make us do things which are wrong. He's going to provide for us because he loves us. So how do we respond? Write it down. Pray it back to God. Let it shape you. Let you act on it. The prophetic often requires a response from us. You know, the, uh, this, this, um, this fridge magnet picture. You know, Alton, by faith, you're called to hold, uh, make holes in ceilings, bringing broken men to the feet of the king. If we're not prepared to make holes in the ceilings, funnily enough, they're not going to come to the feet of the king. The time to take action is now, to be purposeful. Oh, hang on, I've got to be purposeful about this. I'm not just going to sit back and wait for it to happen. Inventive, unconditional, no, sorry, unconventional, sorry, wrong word, radical and audacious. Wow, there's some stuff I've got to do here. I've got to respond. And the prophetic often has a response, a responsibility for us. We often need to respond to the prophetic. We don't just look back and go, well, God, you do it all. You know, even that word Sean brought this morning of the ship with the anchors down. Hey, it's time for us to lift the anchors, friends. Oh, I don't want to lift the anchor. But I want God's blessing. Well, no, hang on, the two are connected. God's saying, hey, it's time for the ship to be back in the river. Lift the anchor. Don't know how many of you have ever been on a boat or a ship. Lifting the anchor is hard work. If the anchor's been down some time, what happens is the silt builds up around it even more and it gets more and more and more and more dug in. The more and more and more and more dug in it is, the more and more and more and more and more you've got to work hard to pull it out. You getting the point? Lifting the anchor is hard work. It's costly. It's normally smelly and yicky because it's in mud. Mud's smelly and yicky and glutinous. It makes a mess on the deck. You may have beautifully shiny, clean decks of your life. You pull the anchor up and you get mud everywhere. You have to wash it down again. We're going to lift the anchor of our lives. 
Let it shape us. The prophetic is there to shape us, to guide us, to speak to us. The prophetic demands a response. And then seek God. Seek God for wisdom to how to see it fulfilled. That's why we're doing these things we're calling field meetings. The, um, the dates are on the back of this card if you haven't seen it. So each week what we're going to be doing is we're going to uh, talk about how God may be speaking to us about the youth or about the poor or about the Holy Spirit because those are the three fields which are named in this prophetic word which we're wanting to respond to. And then 10 days after that, and uh, apologies, we've actually had to move the dates around on this. So um, uh, you may well find um, you need to check Dave's email update or we'll make sure those dates are publicly available as well. We're having what we're calling field meetings. That's basically saying if you're interested in one of these areas, in getting involved, but you don't know what, you don't know how, you don't know anything else about it, but your heart is stirred when you read this word, perhaps about the poor, or about the youth, or about uh, more of seeing the Holy Spirit at work in our church. We're saying, come, let's get together, let's talk about it, let's seek God together, let's press into the plans and purposes of God. Those meetings are not going to be a presentation saying this is what we're going to do. They're going to be a stopping moment, a moment where we seek God together and say, now God, speak to us. Where a bit like uh, the feeding of the 5,000 and the little boys got the fish and the loaves, people will bring what they've got and we'll see how it comes together. Trusting God to bring things together such that we can feed our town with the word of God, with the life of God, with the spirit of God, that we can see our town turn to Jesus and even beyond. Please think about it. Pray about it. Which one, God, which one would you like to be involved with? Which one are you calling me to be involved with? Wouldn't it be fantastic if roughly a third of us, the church, were at each one of those meetings? Each, for each one of those meetings, there was a massive chunk of us saying, hey, we want to find out how we can get involved in this. It may be just hearing some stuff so you can go away and pray. You, know, you may not say, I'm the most gifted youth worker, or uh, I'm passionate about how we serve the poor. But that doesn't mean you can't go to it. Go and find out. Go and hear what God's doing. Go be involved with what God's doing. Because these words were for us as a church. And that's why we're doing this whole three big fields. We're wanting to take God seriously when he speaks to us and responds. Why? Because that's what we see in Scripture. That's the model for how we are to respond to the prophetic. So we are expectant. We apply faith. We'll pray and keep on praying until God starts to bring these things to a fulfillment or says, end of season, because words do come to an end. There is a season with each of these things. And finally, let's just remember the prophetic isn't focused around me or us, but how we fit into God's big plan, God's big picture. It's all about him. It's about him and his glory. It's about his honor. And we play our part in this thing we call the body of Christ, the church. We play our part. Let's play our part together. Let's be the prophetic people God's called us to be. Living out of the prophetic that we already find in scriptures. Living out of the prophetic which we find God brings to us. Let's let the gift of prophecy be stirred up amongst us. 
Let's help one another to grow in it, to step out in it, to be that prophetic people which brings something of the grace and mercy of God to one another, to our town, to our region, to our nation, and even the nations of the earth. Are you up for that? Are we up for that? Are we going to get involved? Are we going to say, yeah? Maybe you need time just to go away and think about it. Fine, do. But please don't forget. So easy just to, after a Sunday morning, move straight on. So what we're going to do now is create an opportunity. And uh, if we have the band back, please, that would be wonderful. We're going to have a song. And if you just know that God's spoken over your life and you're holding back for whatever reason but you know that God's putting his finger on your life today I want to encourage you come forward we want to pray for you if for others of us you're thinking actually I've not really got hold of this whole concept of uh, prophecy and the gift of prophecy but actually I'm, I'm starting to get the impression this is rather important We want to pray for people to start using the gift of prophecy today and to receive the gift of prophecy. Come forward. What we'll say is if you want to receive the gift of prophecy, come this side. If you want to respond for other things, come that side. Okay? Gift of prophecy this side. Everything else that side. And let's get on our feet and let's start to take God at his word. It's going to be risky. For some of us, we're going to have to deal with things like cynicism. We may need to be set free from some things. <laughs> Where it said, not me. God's saying, yeah, it's time. It's time. It's time. Are you going to respond? Your heart's going. <laughs> or even faster. What are you going to do? That's your call. I can't make you respond. God's not going to force you to respond. But I can tell you what. Best place to be? Slap bang wallop in the purposes of God. In submission in obedience before God. So if you need to respond, as the band take us into this next song, please just make your way forward and we'll pray together. We'll do group prayer and then individual prayer together. Okay. Peter, have you got a song for us, please? Let's stand and let's worship. And as we worship, start making your way forward. Don't wait for the end of the song, please. Start making your way forward. <laughs>